Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The Wrestler, Black Swan, and finally newly released The Whale, all directed by Darren Aronofsky. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how's it going, buddy? Tommy Boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay on my end. How was your Darren Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky week? Uh, it was a sad week, uh, <laughs> no less coming off of uh, the Christmas week that we just had. I mean, if it wasn't for the Christmas decorations, Tom, I would not know. It yeah, was you Christmas. would be a very was a sad bad. week. <laughs> A sad, sad. Uh, uh, yeah, these these. It's weird to say these films are very Aronofsky esque. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's kind of strange looking at some of his films. I mean, he could be a weird dude. Yeah, yeah. To the point where I didn't realize that he directed Noah. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, so I mean, it's it's. It's it's out there, and then then uh, and then after that, it wasn't it, it is he directs uh, Mother not too long after that. Yeah, so that's another thing. He's very weird with his re- so people doing Aronofsky episode, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. but like he did Requiem for a Dream in two thousand. Yep, it's not until six years later that we have the Fountain, mm-hmm. right? Then he has the Fountain, Wrestler, Black Swan, all come out in four years. Yeah, very short, very which is short. crazy. Then mm-hmm. he kind of takes a four year gap, does Noah, three year mm-hmm. gap, does Mother. And now, right, five year gap with the whale, yeah, and he's yeah. already working on his next picture. Then, wow, wow, it's already set with Jared Leto. Oh, really, mm-hmm. really? Yeah, wow. it's called like a drift or something like that. Okay, so just like the way he does things is very weird. He's uh, he's not a big budget guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, and for a while, I, I thought it was uh, only what he was going to be writing as well as directing. That's really not the case for his latter half of his career, though. You no, know, he's he, really just directing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and obviously, you picked this. You wanted to match this with the whale, of course. You just figured, hey, let's go back and do some Aronofsky. Uh, yeah, uh, one not on the ratings in any sort of fashion. Uh, we yeah, never, that's true. We never covered these before, uh, except for Black Swan. Uh, and on top of that, as well, uh, things like the fountain uh, it may not fit. But honestly, I think the theme this week is that they are all connected to character dramas in some oh way. Oh my god, big time, uh, I would say. Yeah, all, all of these films, Fountain included, it's all connected to some sort of character going through trauma, going through melancholy, going through sadness. 
Uh, and uh, all of that reaches ahead definitely with the whale, you know, that is <laughs> directly about Big sadness. And, and, you, and yeah. you could even, you could definitely say it with Mother, too. Oh, and sure. And what the actors go through. Now, that has been rated. Yes. Um, and that's on the site as well. Yeah. But essentially, you bring up the characters. Like, so I have this quote here mm-hmm. um, from Aronofsky, and sure. he talks about because he's so character driven mm. and upsettingly so sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially with Mother. That's a doozy. But maybe this will be a good, good way to start. Sure. So he says, I get excited by the challenging roles, and then I just look for actors that want to do that. I really don't push actors or even pull actors. Mm. I just show actors opportunities, and I look for the actors who are looking for that opportunity. If you think about student actors in acting school, all they want to do is emote and go for it, mm. to cry and to scream and do all that stuff. And I think a lot of working actors sometimes forget that's what the job is. And so I'm always looking for the ones that are excited by the challenging roles. And I think the challenging roles allow for lots of different emotions, lots of different feelings, and then hopefully really good performances. Mm. So it's more like, here's a character. Are you interested? There's a new film I was thinking about doing, and I went to a great actor, and he came back and said, look, I have nothing to prove anymore. I don't want to do this. He also said I'm (laughs) interested in money, which is is not one of my specialties. (laughs) I'm more like, do this role. There's no money because no one wants to make it, but it's great artistic opportunity, I hope. Wow. And I think that And that's referring to the whale as well, as far as that... As far as just all of his stuff. Right, right. That's just Aronofsky talking about how he kind of picks his Mm. roles and everything like that. And I think it... What we have here follows through exactly right. I I agree. Um, I think Noah is the outlier. Yeah, it really is. It It really is. You didn't even know he directed it. Me neither. Uh, well, because I always think uh, of Mother specifically during the 2010s for Aronofsky. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even even in researching that, that's kind of just, I guess, a blind spot that I didn't realize uh, Noah was in there. It's very so. weird. So we know that we're getting into very character-driven and very... I don't, de- are these demanding to watch? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all demanding in their own way. Uh, but um, yeah, I was really happy that... You know, uh, I, I was I was worried about the continuity of this week, and I was coming out of this because I actually watched this in sequential order with the whale being the last I watched this week. All of them hit it's on the that same it. type of character, character motivated, character led uh, type of uh, type of examination uh, in in his films. Okay, awesome. So let's go back there. Let's start at Requiem for a Dream. Uh, doozy we're starting with. Yeah, and this is kind of his first one. He did, he's did. he done a lot of student films and shorts, yep. and then he did one called Pie. Yes, yes, uh, which was very close to being on this list, actually. And technically his first feature film. Yes, yeah. But, I mean, and I hear great things about it, but I've never seen it, and I don't know. Uh, this is such a big f- I mean, everyone has heard of Requiem for a Dream. Exactly. You've seen it, not seen it, at least you heard of it. Exactly. You know? Okay, so this is 2000. Mm-hmm. What do we get with Requiem for a Dream? Obviously, we have... Well, why don't you just take it away? Now? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you said, um, first film uh, that he has for his big break was Pi, but I would say Requiem is definitely going to be his his true, true big break. Uh, Zaranovsky in his directing career, uh, and definitely in the subgenre of films that... Induce misery. <laughs> this film was important for me to cover this week, and like I said, the whale looks to be in the same exact space, uh, and I can definitely confirm it is exactly in that space. Uh, even 2017's mother 
all fits into that type of story that Aronofsky crafts uh, and couldn't couldn't necessarily fit Mother in this week. That's a doozy of a film, and I, I kind of didn't kind of didn't want to. Well, and it's on the site too, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, some so. of these is just totally untouched. Exactly, and that's exciting for me too. Yeah. Too, you know, just just how we do director studies and watching films. This was an excuse to watch some things that I've never gotten to with Aronofsky. So, this one is a doozy to start with, though. <laughs> wow, uh, Requiem. If I had to give it an elevator pitch. It is a a roller coaster, a roller coaster in the sense that it is a rise up to a sharp, sharp decline down. It's uh, mm. it's like one of those roller coasters that just drop you. Uh, it's not really like you're, a, you're uh, climbing, going up and down right. or anything like that. It's a hike up a mountain and then all of a sudden you fall off the cliff. Exactly. Yeah, you're yeah. slipping down. So <laughs> uh, this film is about addiction and drug use at the at the at the heart of it, and and the many forms that that can take. I'm not just talking about heroin or pills or anything like that. Addiction is its focus in in a lot of ways. The the cast is a a four part ensemble: uh, Jared Leto, Marlon Wayans, uh, Jennifer Connelly, and then Ellen Burstyn. All of them are good in their own right. I would say Jared Leto's New York accent is a bit rough here, uh, if I'm being honest. He's the only one really going all into this New York accent, and okay. it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It match. sounds something like he would do. Now this is very young. Oh, I mean, very young. and Jennifer Connelly too. Yeah, he's yeah. in her like the late twenties. So. Absolutely, um, and beautiful. But yeah, uh, uh, Jared has that. <laughs> it's hit or miss. It it's really hit or miss is. with him. It really. You know, is. you watch him in House of Gucci, and it's like the, he is the best to see on screen. <laughs> right. Right. And then he's the Joker, and it's a little bit like, well, all right, not necessary. Yeah, yeah, uh, completely unnecessary. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think all four are great in their own right, but the real, the real beauty of the film is um, this four-part juggling act that we have. These, you know, we follow these characters, and how that approach to addiction to drug use uh, takes them through lives, uh, through their life. Like with many similar stories, that destination is complete disaster. And and honestly, I can say from a bird's eye, uh, like with all five of these movies, there is some sort of disaster that is the outcome uh, with all these stories then. Um, this film is honestly... Like I said, not unlike a roller coaster, but not for ups and downs. It's for like this sharp decline. There's a brief uphill... There's a brief brevity to the story. But then after a while, it is a complete complete nosedive downwards uh, until the very end. I mean, to the point that the last 20 minutes of this film are some of the most intense tense sequences you can get on film for mm-hmm. how much in each of these four-part stories their all lives are, are are really, really going downhill. So, so, so I was surprised to see it was only an hour and 42 because I always mm-hmm. felt like this film was a lot longer. Sure, sure. But really, so you're climbing for basically an hour and 20 and dealing with maybe, you know, Around uh, t- twenty of uh, maybe maybe you're climbing for you know an hour and a first half. For, no 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 less I would say first you know fifteen verse thirty and then it's all downhill yeah oh I see okay right. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's it's a little bit of a doozy and I'll mention this a little bit later um, this was very reminiscent for me to what we spoke about with our blonde review um, oh, okay. that. You know, a film that exists only in tragedy is difficult to recommend. Mm, uh, however, yeah. I do really, I, I did really enjoy this film. It's difficult for me to recommend because of 
I mean, is, is, is total tragedy, is total misery something that's enjoyable to watch? Is that something that you watch over and over again, a rewatchability to it? No, but it, there is artistry to this film and worth your time. Yeah, I would say there's two different things there that you said, basically. So mm-hmm. is it worth your watch? It totally could be, mm-hmm. because if the directing and the acting and the writing is that good, yes. Now, whether it's rewatchable, right. different story. Right, right. But, you know, if you're into the art, if you're into filmmaking or film in general, mm-hmm. you know, that's where a film like this would lie. Absolutely. And, I th- you know, and probably we were coming off maybe a little bit positive from it. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I would say it's in the it's in the artistry, it's in the craft of this film that uh, I, I love the most. I love the editing here. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's it's big because the editing alone is almost as if. It's a character in itself. Honestly, that that's that's a trend in itself of Aronofsky's films that the editing is so strong. Uh, I would say it's enough for me to give a blanket recommendation to Requiem because the editing is such a strong character in how we snap from each of the four positions, each of the four characters, and it's just how how it's how the story is told, how how we're consuming it. It really is phenomenal. Um, the editing and the hand of the director is. You know, uh, is just so such a strong focus, and I believe this did get an Oscar nomination. I mean, there's Oscar nominations sprinkled throughout all of these films, pretty much. Uh, yes. I think editing was for specifically for Requiem as well, not for Oscar. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just um, best actress for Ellen Bernstein. Oh, really? Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay, and, and she is phenomenal in this. Uh, specifically around any drug use, the the cuts are lightning quick. And just so visually great. And they still hold up. Oh, yeah. Like, does it feel like a late 90s or early 2000s film? It uh, definitely feels a bit Fight Club-ish. Uh, okay. That they're, you're, they're definitely on back, the, yeah. um, the precipice of a lot of digital tricks mm-hmm. uh, to editing. But uh, absolutely, it holds up. And, and, and again, is part of the identity of the film, part of how we consume it. You know, specifically around drug use. Yeah. Um, it's just so great uh, that... It's visually gripping just how quick drug use is presented so that we can just focus on how much it's a priority for our, our characters and how much they're structuring their days, their lives around this drug use and, and their addictions. We also cross paths with composer Clint Mansell. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, on the score, uh, we, you know, honestly, he's all over this week. Uh, and uh, we covered him not too long ago, I believe, with... Um, under the Earth or Into the Earth? Uh, I forget what the, that horror movie was. Yeah, the one where they're in the woods. Yep, yep. And, yeah, that was uh, a shocker that he was did that film. Uh, exactly, yeah. But yeah, yeah that one. Yep. Uh, and, and he really <laughs> is tied at the hip, attached at the hip with uh, Aronofsky. Uh, and this one, I mean, it is quite the iconic score. Gotta say, much like the editing, the soundtrack is just as much of a highlight to this film. Mm. I mean, so iconic in the sense that you'll hear the the main track. Uh, I think I have the name here. I think it's Lux Eterna, and and it's just instantly recognizable, even if you've never seen this film. Right? You know, you just you, it's, 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 it's seeped into culture that much. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it just uh, from the notable theme of that, and that might being a structure in itself to how the story is told. Uh, again, just absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, much like Blonde, I, you know, I really do find myself in love with the production, but hard-pressed to recommend the narrative. That's going to be a theme with The Wrestler, and that's definitely going to be a theme with Whale as well. That it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough story to be like, oh, you got to see this, you know. Uh, it's, you got to be in the right mindset, you got to be in the right mood to consume yeah. the film. Did you go into Requiem think, knowing that, though? Um, because I did... it's weird because 
it's still great filmmaking. Yes. You know? So it's not, you're not watching it to have, I don't know. It's weird to say you're not watching it to have a good time. It's like, why yeah. waste your time? But right, it's like, right. if you care anything about like a great story being told. Yes. It, then it's an automatic recommend. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Because it really is, you know, uh, what is the mindset someone watching is watching film for? Are they watching it for escapism? Are they watching it to have a good time for entertainment? Mm. Or are they watching it for story? Or are they watching it for, you know, kind of art or production purposes? You yeah. know, there's a lot of different angles on this. And I think... I think escapism, it gets it down pat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you melt away to it and it's just... Then you're just depressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think uh, that's uh, the person that you know, or or watcher, or viewer that watches movies to get away from reality. This is not the movie for them. You know what I mean? So, so, so much to the point that the last 20 minutes of the film, you know, the narrative reaches such a spiral of misery. It's it's difficult to me, difficult for me to say that the narrative doesn't shape the entire experience, even if you're really appreciating mm. the editing and the music and, and the production of the whole thing. But um, uh, much like Blonde, like I said, you know, with that review, I think the craft, the artistry of the, what the film is, 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 is getting done, is getting accomplished, is what, what I appreciate about that. And in that, I don't re- regret watching the film at all and can very much recommend it. We're going to go ahead and give Requiem for a Dream a 75. Oh, 75, good score. Yeah, that right there was a pretty good movie. Did it feel like an hour and 42 to you? Okay, so you went into the film knowing that you weren't exactly going to be having a good time. Uh, yes, I've seen Requiem before. Okay. It wasn't rated. Um, right. But, um, Which you how know. far back you have to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a teen when I saw this for but the first it, time. It, did it feel like an hour and 42? I feel like this <sighs> film feels longer. Because it's taking you through a lot. Yeah, and, and I will say the moment-to-moment... It doesn't feel it, it, it. The editing is snappy because we're almost mm, very rapid true. fire snapping between the four perspectives. Uh, very, yeah, it's very true. But it's at the same time it does feel long because it's yeah, yeah. I mean, you're really going through it with each of these four perspectives. There's no yeah. rest that you can kind of just have downtime with the film. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy with Aronofsky because it's already like he's shooting himself on a foot because yeah. because for all of these films, basically, it's I'm gonna bum you out. Right. Right. And to get a 75, and we'll see how some of these others do, you know, that's an impressive thing because already it's tough to get excited or want to go see. And if certainly, like, he like he made the comment of, if you're looking to make money, don't come with me. Right. Because these right. are not money makers. Right. It is for art. It is for storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's just about it. Yeah. But 75 for Requiem for a Dream. Uh, pretty good movie, folks. You Absolutely. Know, it's, it really is. It's a, Solid it's a good movie, movie. Well worth your time. So we're going to move on. This was the one that I was most knew the least about, really. Didn't know much about this. This is The Fountain. Like I said, he took a six-year leap um, from Requiem to The Fountain. It came out in 2006. It's rated, mm-hmm. it's rated PG-13. An hour and 37. It's snappy. Yeah, um, it is snappy. But after kind of researching a little bit, this is one I'm almost most excited for. I almost like the premise the most. Mm-hmm. called The Fountain, almost like The Fountain of Life. Yeah, uh, yeah, Fountain of Youth. Right, yep. Fountain of Youth. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. And, and how did you find this... To fair, uh, I, it's definitely the oddball of the week. Uh, okay, also the only sci-fi as well. Uh, yes, very true. Uh, that is uh, that is on this week. But um, even with the very sci-fi premise, I think it does show that Aronofsky loves to tell these character-driven stories. And I was happy yeah. because even when I was watching it, I was like, ah, "Do I cut this? 
kind of press for time. You know what I mean? I, really? I, uh, yeah. What else would you put in place? Um, maybe I would have included Mother, uh, and maybe I would have included Pie. So ah, okay. definitely the honorable mentions. Now, but... did, you, did you look at the time? I mean, an hour and 37. Uh, it was more so I didn't realize how sci-fi was going to be. Uh, but okay. again, uh, as the end result, it is still very much about Hugh Jackman as a, as, as his character in right, this. Right, right. Um, yeah, uh, here that focus is, is you know, uh, on a large part of Hugh Jackman's character and it's explored to a wide extent with this story's multiple settings. The Fountain tells three stories of drastically different circumstances and uh, that role that is played by Jackman in all three of those. Um, he plays a Spanish conquistador, uh, a cutting-edge modern doctor, and a space-dwelling far-future monk. So pretty out-there stuff. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that. You know, all, all three of these have some sort of obstacle to overcome with their relationship with the the actress Rachel Weiss. Uh, I think it's Weiss. Weiss? Weiss? No, Rachel Rachel Weiss. Yeah. Rachel Weiss. Yeah. Um, Vice. Vice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of German thing. You know, all, all, all three of these settings have to have some obstacle to overcome with uh, their relationship or Jackman's multiple relationships with Rachel Weiss. Performance-wise, she t- takes the crown, too. She actually outshines uh, Hugh Jackman in this, uh, which was really surprising. She was really good in this. So she's in uh, it that much? I thought this was going to be so Jackman-heavy. Uh, it is, uh, but much like, and I'm going to give away the goat a little bit here, much like a cloud atlas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. You mentioned it first. I was gonna t- uh, you were going to do it? Yes. I was going to mention it. You are going to do it. That's it. That's on the bingo card. Much like a cloud atlas, what? Uh, that... We have repeating... Uh, right, of course. We yeah. have repeating roles, repeating characters. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, can we, all right, can we just touch on that real quick? Sure, sure. How much Cloud Atlas-y was it? Uh, a lesser Cloud Atlas, because it's only three settings, so... Right, we're not It's not as with... drastic, and you can't make as complex of ties, but it is 100% that type of story okay. where you're telling similar themes, shared themes among, among the mini-stories, and... Uh, like I said, it's much smaller in scale and and nowhere near an even split of screen time. Unfortunately, the modern doctor setting really takes the majority of the screen time. I would have so really I, rathered it being an even split uh, between the three uh, and spend more time, especially with the you know this far future monk that uh, that Jackman plays. It was very cool, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me though mm-hmm. because I think because the second one takes place in two thousand. Yep. And is that a spoiler? Or, or like just a, a modern doctor. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, not, not a spoiler at all. And I it's I feel like he needs to connect it to audiences somehow. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that was his anchor, uh, the, the modern story. And it's a yeah. shame because even on the uh, the Spanish Conquistador side. Kind of cool. I was loving the set design. It was cool also. Yeah. Air, I mean, prior to Noah, Aronofsky didn't do any kind of fantasy or historical, you know, yeah, I historical fiction. I would have loved to do. I, I mean, I would love to see kind of that part of it. I probably yeah. would have liked that much. Yeah. That part the most. But unfortunately, that modern doctor story really takes the 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 largest part the lion's share yeah. of the screen time and unfortunately it is the weakest it is the boring the most boring mm. of the three uh, and uh, least gripping of the three is what I find with this uh, also I do feel that the the plot the pacing it's just a bit too slow and and this is you know like you really? said an hour and thirty seven yeah uh, not not a long movie at all. Uh, and this is uh, it's it's a real but it drags. one. It does drag a little bit. How I think his... it's just because it's so much time is spent in this 
kind of slow medical drama of uh, Jackman's modern doctor character. And uh, at least for me, the whole time I was I was craving when are we going to get these time jumps or these these uh, you know fantasy to sci-fi jumps in in tone. I was really excited by that, and so much of the film is not that. So. And how was the editing then? Was the editing still good and quick and choppy? And it was just the uh, story dragging it down? or uh, Yeah, editing was fine. I just think it, there was just too much emphasis put on the, the modern doctor So that's really story. it. It was just yeah. too much of that. Okay. Yeah. I, where I, I think, if anything, like a Cloud Atlas, if if more time was, was evenly split between the stories, I feel the theme tying back. Uh, I feel like the, the arcs of the characters uh, lining up in parallels. It could have been a lot more strong here uh, and uh, I, I think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity this is also for for lack of a better word this this film has some mediocrity to it as far as critical reception and audience reception mm. I feel like even back then when people were watching this film they just said okay you know meh you know, really? it, was, it was it was you know cool concept, but uh, had its focus in in the least interesting part of the story, if that makes sense. No, I mean, it absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one highlight for me is a, a very interesting color palette, uh, which is not usually something I, I comment on on a major way. But there's heavy yellows and golds all throughout this film. Uh, it's really if there's a theme, it's it's actually in color design hmm. throughout the entire film. And honestly, the the whole film is very stylized and it's set. So much of the scenes feel honestly to the point of over designed. Uh, it could be equally a highlight and distracting element for you know really depending on the viewer and how much you're in tuned with that. I personally thought this was a stunning film to look at. And if there's a big highlight to it, is it is the design and and the care put into this. If anything, tying back to my note with that Spanish conquistador side, I was loving how much care was put into. The environments, the settings, the, the props, uh, it was really, really stunning work. That's, that is its over-designedness to it. Uh, it does feel like it maybe goes too far, that it maybe feels a little cheap. Okay. I, I personally appreciated it. It was I an could, artistic decision to go more warm, more yeah. golds and yellows. Absolutely. Yeah. It, almost in every frame. Almost in every, you know, every single scene. Yeah. Uh, it's incorporated in some way. And you don't get that often. A lot of times maybe you'll get something that's more blue. Mm-hmm. more blued kind mm-hmm. of yeah uh, I, I think um, it, it, it's really going to depend on the viewer of whether they dig it or not uh, and uh, I think it was it was definitely a tie to the stories that I appreciated uh, you know you have these different these three drastically different settings it's definitely focusing on them in these overlapping themes obviously overlapping characters and overlapping arcs the color design was a minor but uh, appreciated theme and thread mm-hmm. between the three sure. as well. Yeah. So something I appreciated. So uh, I just love how much care is put into the look of this film. And uh, I suppose some of the symbolism can be heavy-handed at times, but there was a lot of care that is uh, ties it together in the design alone. And I'm always one to appreciate design. Uh, I think for the first time ever, though, I was saying maybe the film should be longer. Yeah, honestly. Uh, Wait, I, so it felt so you felt like it dragged on too much, I, I and fe- you wanted it to be longer. Yeah, I felt like it dragged on, but I felt like there could have been so much more runway, so much more real estate to play out how these stories tie together, 
how wow. these themes tie together. If anything, you look at a Cloud Atlas and it's you know three hours plus or something like Whatever. that. Well, it feels like it. That's for sure. Right, in right. In a good way because we're the only two people yeah, that, we're the on only Earth. That, like, <laughs> the only fans. But that surprises me that you wouldn't say, okay, cut ten minutes off. Mm-hmm. You know the two thousand plot, the doctor plot, uh, and add ten to this and add ten. To, that's that's wow, that's surprising me. I know, yeah, it, it surprised me too. I like I said, it, probably the first time ever, uh, at least in the history of the podcast so far, that I said needs to be longer. No, you said it on a few. Oh, things. Okay, you said okay. a few things. But so, would you just say, okay, if the doctor plot is this long, mm-hmm. make the conquistador one mm-hmm. longer and the monk longer, yes. and we're good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. All right. I just feel they they needed more runway to develop the stories. And if anything, it would have given more room to create deeper grooves of shared themes. Play in that world a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you incorporate a little bit of these these kind of cosmic ties that that tie these settings together. The cosmic themes uh, or, or the universal themes that each deal with. Uh, and I feel like giving the other two would have even taken the spotlight off of the modern doctor theme or the modern doctor setting that I would have enjoyed it more even. Uh, okay. It would have been let, you know, uh, more time away from it so that when we come back to it, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm excited now to, hmm. to see this again, where it was just too much time with the doctor side of it, though. But this gets a soft recommend uh, from me for a few notes that I appreciated, mainly design and originality, but I'm hard-pressed to give it much of a higher score. Uh, definitely the lowest of the week. We're going to go ahead and give The Fountain a 59. 59, Okay. Well, if that's as far as we're punching, as we're down, you know, that's not terrible. Yeah, it's not a bad week. So, a very specific watch for people, not a, not an overwhelming. Yeah, everyone going to watch this basically. Yeah, I definitely don't regret watching it. Um, like I that's said, that's good if it was on the chopping block. Exactly, exactly. By the end, I was like, okay, no, this definitely fits into the scope of character stories for him, uh, for Aronofsky. It was pretty interesting. I definitely had thoughts around it, especially around design and everything like that. Okay, very good, Vince. That's 59 for The Fountain. Okay, like I said, that was 2006. Uh, Two years ahead of the time, uh, two years in advance, we're at The Wrestler now in 2008. Big movie. movie. You had Oscar noms for Best Actor, Best Actress. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people will be familiar with this because it has so much hype and definitely, I hate to say, but Oscar buzz that year. Oh, yeah. And what did we end up getting with this here? Sure. Uh, So, not a true story, but has a a couple uh, real life inspirations, specifically Ric Flair, uh, who is a big name in, um, in in modern wrestling, and then Jake the Snake Roberts, um, and, and and of course, kind of tells a story that mirrors countless other wrestlers. The wrestler is all about being washed up uh, and feeling the melancholic low after a time on high has passed by, uh, and the lens is put on two characters in this way: Mickey Rourke um, playing the battered Golden Age wrestler. And Marissa Tomei as well, who is playing a stripper love interest that has maybe not the glory that Rourke has, but similar kind of a dual life that she steps away from, specifically a motherhood Mm. that she steps away from. And both of them getting the Oscar nominations for their roles here as well. I got to say right off the bat, though, the physicality of Rourke's performance is without a doubt, Mm. uh, it, it makes it his career best role. I think a lot of people would agree with that, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Rourke doesn't have, like, an amazing career. It's very uh, weird. It is. I, I was, it's all over the place. I was expecting this to kind of blow him up a little bit. Sure. And maybe the offers were outrageous, and he was getting a bunch, yeah. and that's very him mm-hmm. to be so selective. But sure. he's not in a lot at all, Yeah, and he's so intense. Yeah. 
Like he's an interesting dude. It is big time. It, it, it's wild. You know, I, I have a soft spot for him in Sin City, of course. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But there is such a brutality to the low budget, trashy wrestling circuit that's in this real film that is. You know, I mean, it really puts his body through the numbers. Um, I actually think it's an important ingredient to the magic of the film. And, and cinematography is right there to be paired with it. Uh, cinematography in the ring. We spoke about this in the In Full Bloom review. That uh, pr- how you present boxing or wrestling in a ring mm. is a uni- unique challenge. Uh, that every type of fight movie has to confront with. The camera work here is key to how the matches feel. So... All at once, the presentation feels staged, reckless, and chaotic. Uh, And I think that's a a very particular balancing act because not once does this feel like the wrestlers are real. They are absolutely actors. uh, And we see that through some story beats as well. But within the ring, it feels chaotic like it's not stage it feels reckless like they're not actors but yet we still kind of understand that naturally uh, you know how the the shots are presented and how the fights are presented uh, and it really sells a realism to the film I mean uh, real talk here if I know wrestling is fake and I know the movie is fake, then I think it's pretty damn impressive that I'm flinching when a glass window is smashed over his head. You know what I mean? There's there's some really good impact and feeling or, or, or weight and gravity to the cinematography here. And it's it's just very impressive. Okay. And was it was it just that? Was it also color palettes too? Or just overall it was just that the cinematography helped the feel of the film. Yes. It's yeah. about the gravity of being in the ring with these wrestlers. Yeah. And and if anything, understanding and recognizing that this is an act. This is not real, but feeling just as reckless, feeling just as you know, life-threatening. Honestly, when they're in the when they're in the ring together, right. uh, to put on a good show, and I think that's a fine balancing act. And again, a unique challenge versus a boxing match, where it's about maybe showing the lethality of a sport with rules and structure. Mm-hmm. Here, it was about showing lethality with clearly a performance that is fake, right. but showing how it could really be life-threatening in a lot of instances. And then you have Rourke just selling it. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's funny how he picked this. It's again, we went back. He's to kind like, of made for it. I mean, yes, he really is made for it's it. It's weird. Yeah. He, I mean, it really was the proper character for this, the proper actor for this. And I think it goes back to the quote that I read in the beginning, where mm-hmm. Aronofsky just he knows what character he wants. He goes and finds the actor that he thinks will suit it best, yeah. and say, "Hey, this is it. What do you think about it?" Absolutely. And he finds the people that are interested in really going for it. Yep, absolutely. And I think Rourke is one of those guys that. If he does pick something, he's going to go, he's going to be, become that person. Yeah. Yeah. If not, he might be that person a little bit already. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And obviously, like I said, nominated for Best Actor as well. Yeah. Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. And same with Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Tomei, uh, you got it. Yeah. For actress. Yeah. yeah. She's great in this. Uh, don't let me oversell the action, though. I mean, this is a very mundane pop plot. You know, first and third act are, are really electric, but that middle second drags very intentionally slow uh, to sell you on the themes of the film. You know, Mickey is a rock and roll, washed up 80s star. He is out of touch with kids. He's, his attempts to flirt with women are rough. And in many ways, he's flat out 
just doesn't belong in society. And the scenes that spotlight this, I, I will say they're a little cheesy. Um, they're a little corny. The majority of these fall in the second act, and it kind of took me out of the film. In retrospect, this is, and I'll hit on this with The Whale, identical to how I felt in The Whale, that sometimes these character-defining moments... They're just a little cartoonish. They're a little bit unrealistic, despite so much realism and care being put into this Did film. they push it too much, or they push it in front of you too much and try to spoon-feed it? Hard to say, and, and definitely hard to say without spoilers as okay, well. Okay, all right. Um, and that, that definitely counts for The Whale and, and, and The Wrestler. It's just, it's just tough to really go into the specific areas where I get taken out of the film without just, you know, you right, know actually right. time, time stamping these, though. I will say there is a lot of enjoyment in the romance between Marissa Tomei and him, though. I would say there's really just solid chemistry at both of these kind of, both of these characters being out of their element. Mm-hmm. And there's one specific bar scene that is just fantastic between the two. Just a, a really great romance uh, within this movie with them. Uh, otherwise, this film is all about melancholy. And that is almost perfectly conjured through a story of a washed-up 80s wrestler. I would say the first film of this week that Aronofsky did not write, you know, The Wrestler, I think it shows that Aronofsky didn't write it. It's much more grounded. It's, it's less high concept, less high brow. I, I wonder where, because he it, it he continues to not write after this, correct? I believe so, yeah. And it's weird because maybe, huh, I mean, some of the best film slash directors that we know are coming from a guy who takes it on. You're right. Who likes to write and direct all him. Yeah. Maybe he just gets it. Maybe he knows that there's stories. He starts picking up from other novels, mm-hmm. plays, which we'll talk about. Like, The Whale was already mm-hmm. a play. Yep. And maybe he just sees something. Maybe he just knows. I think he's just in tune with the the stories he likes to direct. and um, Knows that maybe he shouldn't be writing. Yeah. <laughs> writing Possibly. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Maybe maybe the fountain really, really bit him, bit him <laughs> on it. <laughs> he thought it was too high concept. But, but yeah, I, I, I would say... It's um, it's notable to see that development uh, in watching these films sequentially for me throughout the week and seeing that development as a director. Um, you know, I would say nowhere near as shocking or as high concept as the other films that we've covered so far, but a very solid film and definitely worth your time, again, for the notable performances from Rourke and Tomei. We're going to go ahead and give The Wrestler a 70 on the dot. Oh, wow. Okay. I was expecting a little bit better, but I mean, 70s is still obviously a pretty good film still. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was expecting it to punch a little bit more, honestly. Yeah, and, and obviously the critical reception of this film in, in years past, I mean, you know, what was this, 2008? I mean, that's a yeah. that's a dynamite year. And, you know, this this film is yeah, really yeah. revered for that same reason. You know, there were just some golden films coming out. But Where do you think this place is? I mean, again, we have that stretch of, well, Info Bloom is kind of a oddball, but you liked it a lot. Oh, love But Info then we Bloom. also have, was it The Fighter? We have The Wrestler. We mm-hmm. have Million Dollar Baby. Yep. We have something Paul with Jake oh, Gyllenhaal. Oh, Southpaw. Southpaw. I don't think I've ever seen that. But we just have of course, this. the Creed movies. Creed, right. We have um, this strip, of, and they always seem to do relatively well. Mm-hmm. We um, covered uh, Warrior. Uh, yes. Yep, yep. But as far as 70 goes, I mean, this would maybe be on the lower end, actually, of some of those. Uh, you know, now that you say it, uh, it, pr- it probably is, and I think it's just because it's, I don't know, it's that second, it's that second act that, some scenes they just take me out of it. I feel like mm-hmm. it's there's there's too much of a cartoonish portrayal of right. Rourke's character being disconnected with society that I think the film sold fine on its own yeah. without some of no these need scenes. to push it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say it's once again hour and forty nine. He knows how to keep films 
snappy. Oh, yeah. And under two hours. Yep. It's kind yep. of impressive with the stories that he's telling. Mm-hmm. It also very interesting how this was, if I'm remembering correctly, this was kind of Rourke's somewhat of a comeback. I think People so. People kind of forget about him a little bit, and yep. then he did this, and it was like, oh, he's on the map again, mm-hmm. which is interesting to think of Brendan Fraser. Sure. Same exact thing, kind of. Yeah, he has a, Aronofsky has a, has a career in resurrecting, <laughs> <laughs> in the necromancy of career of actors' careers. Uh, but okay, so that's 70 for The Wrestler. Let's move on to another one that, whether you've seen it or not, you kind of know about it. You know when it came out, it was kind of a big deal. It's 2010. This is Black Swan. And like you said, Vin, this is already on the site, but yeah. let's explore it a little bit. What did you think of this film? Uh, I love this film, yeah, and I've always loved this film. Uh, five-time Oscar nominee and first win for my girl Padme. Uh, <laughs> I've mentioned before, I mean, I feel like some online discourse around Natalie Portman is is hating on her as an actress, but I've always liked Natalie, and, and you know, she's definitely my childhood crush, so I have a, you know, a weak spot. So. <laughs> and she was in Leon the Professional, correct? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So uh, I was also nominated for Best Motion Picture, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Achievement in Cinematography, and in Film Editing, too. So mm. this was a heavy, heavy, heavy hitter for 2010. Yeah, and, and, and you hit on the note of that editing, you know, much like Requiem, the editing and... The director's hand here are just so strong in how the film is presented. It is almost enough for me to give a blanket recommendation alone because of just how unique and how strong the editing is. It's it's really could be one of those films that someone pays attention to editing for the first time. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, the editing here is just so, so amazing. So what is it exactly? What is it about the editing? What is going uh, on that's unlike other normal, typical film? Uh, I guess if I if I had to describe it, it's just the pacing or the intensity of just how the cuts are being portrayed. I, I just love how frantic scenes are cut. And with this being a psychological thriller, I think that's very important to building the the horror, if you will, or okay, building sure. the tension, if you will. Uh, I think it's a, a, just a very good match for the the tone the film is going for. And again, when I when I refer to editing, it's how we consume it as the, as the viewer, and that really is the truth. Uh, I think editing here is uh, a lot of the time determines the the tone or the mood of the film. Just how, if you look at like an Edgar Wright or something like that, his films are comedy, not because they're slinging jokes, because the editing is giving the cuts yeah, for, the, very for, true. The, yeah. for the punchlines. So. Okay, I like that, yeah. Um, the story focuses on Nina, uh, played by Natalie Portman. She is a ballerina obsessed with perfection. Uh, and up until this point of the story, that meant fully surrendering, surrendering herself to her dance and her method. However, her mindset is altered when she is denied the fruits of her perfection, the lead role in the new Swan Lake performance. Uh, this psychological pressure creates cracks in, her, in how she sees reality, how she sees relationships around her, and driving her into absolute obsession. I mean, much like Requiem as well, this film is about obsession. It's about addiction in ways, but it's around this kind of this story concept around ballerinas and and, and Swan Lake. 
There are a few important factors to the madness here. Nina is very juvenile in her relationship with her mother, and this is key to laying the foundation of a lot of psychological tension that is later in the film, obviously ramped up to 11 uh, and really cranked up. But early on, it's laid into kind of a, a general unease that she has with her relationship with her mother. Mila Kunis also mm-hmm. has a great role in this, in amping up that tension. She really does, I mean, now very specifically, I mentioned Fight Club before, yeah. very specifically, she gives me Fight Club vibes mm. in being this kind of alter ego, unlocking Nina, you know, um, uh, kind of a... Antagonist? A dark character, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a dark mirror of the character. Yeah. Uh, and most of all, the use of mirrors is a- another great foundation of how we see Nina transform over time. Uh, countless mirror shots from dance studios to the dressing rooms, and there's just a nice balancing act. I mean, believe me, I'm not saying it is the most high-concept thing in the world uh, or the most high-concept thing I've seen on film, but I really do appreciate the literal transformation that we have in the story of Swan Lake matching with our character crisis through Natalie Portman's character. I mean, it really is just a a fantastic psychological thriller. Uh, And I'm not saying, again, you know, her matching the performance or her character matching a similar arc or, or, or sorts to the performance she has to put on with the story not the most mind-blowing thing but Mm -hmm. it's done so well it's executed upon so well uh, that i really do appreciate this film and i just think this is actually a scary psychological thriller you know um this really gives me chills sometimes when i watch this film it's it's just paced so perfectly i mean some serious Goldilocks zone shit, Tom. I yeah, mean, it's doing exactly, it sounds weird, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to, and it's weird that you're getting these horror and creepy or thriller type vibes yeah. from a story that's around ballet dancing. Right, and, right. And it's, it's good, it's a great dance. Yeah. The in and of itself is a great dance, yeah. the film. Absolutely. And at an hour and 48, like you said, with the editing, it's a, it's a tight package enough where those cuts and those edits, as you said, just adds to it. Yeah, because you're not lingering on too many things. Like it just it just builds that tension or builds that weirdness or re- uneasiness. Absolutely, really, yeah. I think another where this where this ties into is stream of consciousness. I mean, all of this is from Nina's perspective, mm-hmm. and and her cracking sanity around the the pressure of just filling this lead role, and that very realistically could be taken in an emotional way. That very realistically, in a story sense, could be just, you know, that's her arc, that she's she's under a lot of pressure, and can she overcome this in a heroic way? Instead, this is taken to much more of a disturbing, psychological type of thriller uh, approach to this that um, I, I really just appreciate so much about the presentation of Nina's mindset, the stream of conscious editing there to show that we're always in Nina's perspective. No one else's. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and getting into that pressure of, uh, of a lead role like that. Uh, you know, if this was trying to be a full-on horror, in lesser hands, it would be throwing it in our face right away. But yeah. just how I commented that the the slight pressure of her kind of juvenile relationship with her mother you know it instead it's just handled in a way that builds the fear in emotional ways instead of saying oh yeah i'm trying to be a whore outright i'm trying to scare you outright the fear comes 
much more naturally. The fear comes from our connection with Nina and seeing what she's going through. Uh, I really do love this film, though, and, and, and despite feeling very highbrow in the world of ballerinas, it's it shows a, a very common pressure that anyone can understand. You know, jealousy, expectation, coming of age, all simple themes, but really finely tuned by pushing them through our un unstable Queen of Swans. This was a double watch for me this week because wow. the simple answer why... I did not want to rob myself of the experience of watching this wow. through one more time. I wanted to just be enveloped. A film I, you've seen multiple times already. Multiple times. I didn't want to take a single note. I, I just wanted you to just be want to in the movie. I, I can't tell you how much I, I really appreciated doing so. I mean, create more work for me. I got right. <laughs> <laughs> unneeded work for me. You know, taking <laughs> notes then. But um, uh, if anything, let that play into the recommendation. Uh, watch this movie and get enveloped into the mindset and the psyche of a, of a great psychological thriller. We're going to go ahead and get Black Swan in 83. Wow, 83. Really good score. Absolutely. Really good score. And it should note too. This is the first time that he has actual box office success here. Really, yeah, made like yeah. 107 million, mm -hmm. and we don't get that with the wrestler. Yeah, the wrestler didn't even make 30. Wow. So, really? mm -hmm. wow. And I don't think the whale's gonna do. I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't. Think and just so. the way the film, it's in theaters and everything like yeah, that. But, yeah. Um, oh, you're so right with distribution as well in the whale. Yeah, it's weird. But Black Swan, 83. percent I'd love it, Vin. Yeah, fantastic movie. Yeah. I, I loved watching it. All right, Vin. Uh, so we just want to remind people here, uh, value for value model, folks, okay? So we're completely producer-supported. Are you getting value from the podcast or the website? Are you into film more than what you were a year ago? If you could, you go to the dailyratings.com, you head to the donations tab, and through monetary support, you show us what kind of value that you're getting from the daily ratings. And uh, once when you do that, you send in a note along with it, which we'll read here, and you are official credited producer of the daily ratings. And as always, if you're enjoying it, go ahead and tell somebody. If you're hearing a conversation going on about film or the Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, whatever, get us in the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's where we want to be. Absolutely. Or go ahead and poke your head in a random conversation and do it anyway and promote us. <laughs> push it out, push it out. And and we've t talked about in the last couple of weeks, you know, is it appreciation of the podcast? Is it appreciation of the 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 recommendation? Is it appreciation of the website even, uh, as some listeners have said? And exactly. The whole deal with the value for value is we won't give you three to five minutes of just random ads that we have to read and pitch to you. Uh, we don't have to go and do that. It's really just kind of a through line to you. It create an extra content, an extra kind of content block here on the podcast, which could be a good time. And mm -hmm. again, you can write us with questions. You can have comments, critiques, or... <laughs> Tear me apart on the ratings. Right. Yeah. Or it's an ask us anything type of thing. Absolutely. So that's kind of what we're turning this into, folks. We thank you so much for listening. We hope you produce here soon. And um, again, it's at dailyratings.com and head to the donations tab. Sam Hunter created this. It's based on his play, and now it's his screenplay. It starts in a jolting, intense way. I think there is an effort for everything about Charlie to be a turnoff at the beginning. It's all about the path we take, from someone who we judge right off the cuff to someone we learn to love. That journey the audience takes is the reason I wanted to make this film. Wow. 
This, of course, we're talking about The Whale. This is our new release, our 2020. Mm. This is Brenda Frazier coming back to mainstream, kind of. Yeah. And that's Aronofsky saying why he even wanted to tackle this, which was originally a play. And like you said, mm. Sam Hunter, who's the one who did the play, mm. also is the screenplay for the film. I, I think that that is a huge value add as well, Tom, because um, I, I did not know that quote. And um, boy, is he right. I mean, in the beginning, uh, I mean, quite literally the first introductory scene that we get with Charlie as, uh, you know, Frazier's character. Um, man, it is uh, hard to swallow, honestly. Yeah. Uh, a little like, bit in your face too much, but that's an interesting so context that, yeah. yeah, intentionally he's trying to kind of shock you and then bring you back a little bit with it. So this is his longest film as far as Aronofsky, what we covered today. It's still under two. It's an hour and 57 minutes. Yep. Of course, it's rated R. That's just how he does things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do we get? It's a small cast. It's kind of a small story. Mm-hmm. So how does he take us on this ride overall, and, and did you enjoy it? Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, uh, just once again, a, a tough film to recommend. Um, there's quite a lot of buzz around this one. Um, of course, Oscar talk for Best Lead Actor. He already got the Golden Globe. Oh, really? Nominee, yeah. Wow, wow. So that that's probably, you know, written in stone so far. Uh, and a lot of haters online as well mm. uh, for the film to be kind of soft canceled around fat phobia, which I, I, fi- I personally find ridiculous. But uh, and I think uh, I saw a quote from Aronofsky as well that he kind of finds it ridiculous or doesn't understand. He was literally just like, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, I mean, as far as the – because I was reading up on it, obviously, yep, yep. looking at some of these quotes and everything. But because mm-hmm. I really wanted to hear him and how he tackled it, especially now that he's getting blowback from yes, it. And him yes. and the writer were like, this has nothing to do with that. This yeah. is supposed to tell a story and actually be kind and sympathetic mm-hmm. for a person in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why the the reason why Sam Hunter created it was his problem with obesity as a kid. Oh wow! So yeah. he had a personal kind of journey with it. Yeah. So wow. it's it's very much to Aronofsky. He's just like I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can't say I do either. Especially if anything, with his purpose of maybe initially there is a uh, 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 you know a. Uh, kind of a tacky perspective uh, Charlie has in the in the film very mm-hmm. initially Charlie it, being Brendan Fraser's yes, character of course yes but but very soon uh, we we see that the film is all about creating an empathetic uh, view of him and and, and his plight uh, like with all the films this week though it is a experience uh, <laughs> and I hope to give some insight into if this is worth your time because I think the whale more so than most this week is something that you kind of ha- kind of have to see for yourself uh, to make up your mind on um, the whale focuses in, in on Charlie a um, a hideously obese writing teacher that uh, seemingly is trapped in his own home and further imprisoned by his horrible eating habits as is with the case with most This destructive addiction to food is a comfort to a pain and trauma from his past, and the film is structured in a way that we kind of puzzle together what that trauma is from his past. Exploring that trauma is the whole point of the film, though, and it's not just Charlie that has issues. He has his nurse, a a Mormon boy that comes door to door, and even his estranged daughter are all put put under the same lens of the film that... We're kind of exploring 
what kind of baggage they are carrying with them and mm. how they deal with that baggage. Um, Interesting. Much like Requiem is how do they deal? How do they live with addiction? Right. Black Swan, how do they de- how does Nina deal with this pressure, this this coming of age, you know? The whale is honestly right in line with it. And like I said, if anything, the watch list of this week I would highly recommend for, you know, folks at home, if you want to explore Aronofsky in a similar way, I thought this was a great build-up towards the whale, and I could appreciate a lot of elements there. Yeah, and I'm glad that you did it, that you watched this sequentially, that yes. you went with the time. Now, my mm-hmm. only thing is, would you add Mother in this, or would you highly suggest putting Mother in this? I'm, I'm going to say no, Okay, just because Mother is... Okay. <laughs> mother gets lost in the sauce a little bit. Uh, mother, mother gets lost in its own analogies a little bit too much. In ways, is still very character-driven, especially around Jer- Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, is a doozy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, so go back to The Whale. It is kind of a smaller cast. Not yes. saying his other films aren't. Yeah. But again, with it being the longest one, is it very formulaic as in... Okay, we have this character. Let's mm-hmm. find out the baggage. Hey, new character. Let's find out the baggage. Mm. Or is it presented because he's so talented that it's gripping and you don't feel like it's a formula? I, I definitely didn't feel like it's a formula. And, and, and different than like a Requiem where it's a f- even four-part split. Right. This is truly about Charlie and his story. Also, um, setting-wise, mm-hmm. and, and I'll return to this as a little bit of a critique, but setting-wise, he's immobile. So we're it's all we're in, in the, his house his or apartment. apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as far as a character, who's coming to visit? His nurse that mm-hmm. keeps up on him. Right. This Mormon boy that goes door to door. And the only reason why he's coming across is he's going door to door. And then his estranged daughter. So it's people visiting Charlie as well that are in the focus of this kind of examination of trauma. And for two hours, it's a lot of one setting then you know yeah. i mean does it drag is it paced well still i think it's paced well it is absolutely a critique that i have that it is very visually boring yeah okay um, so much so that it is a praise of fraser's performance that he does kind of blend into his own environment like he is a piece of furniture right right um but also visually boring that there was definitely some snores in my theater uh, almost immediately oh, so, wow okay yeah yeah a lot of different <laughs> reactions in my theater a lot of you tears, know a lot of laughter yeah. <laughs> It was, it was all over the place. So you were in L.A. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was in L.A. for this one. And you were there for something else. You were there to go see Al Pacino at the Eddie <laughs> Video Game Awards. <laughs> I was. But, I was. Um, yeah, how was an L.A. crowd compared to a crowd like uh, us? Uh, all over the map. So I, I didn't, snores we've had. Snores. Um, <laughs> there is some light comedy to this film. It's more so just to kind of create some brevity to the point. I was going to say, how crucial is that? Uh, it, it definitely isn't without... It's not inappropriate comedy. Okay. And but I can only imagine a setting like this, you need a little bit like, uh, yeah, okay, you need all right. a little bit of breath. You can breathe. At least. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a release valve. Uh, yeah, for exactly. It. Yeah. Um, but some people were just busting a gut, and I was like, all right, man. that maybe deserves a little bit of a smirk, not a, not a, you know, a gut laugh. So, and then of course, I mean, it's a very emotional film, uh, as is, uh, you know, right in the marketing, honestly, of yeah. it. So, a lot of tears and whatnot. So, interesting theater experience. Maybe, maybe I don't don't agree with the West Coast sensibilities too much, but <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't I- expect th- this film really was the darkest and the saddest of the bunch, even over Requiem and Wrestler. Uh, Requiem is much more of a of a you know a dive uh, as far of how it handles this, but the entire film is I can't really call it melancholy. It is it is a tr- it is tragic mm. and it is sad and it's very dark. Uh, I note this because the mood and the tone of the film 
is really beyond those moments, and even these slight comedic moments that are thrown into the script, the focus on trauma does not let up at all. And I would say again, much like the setting, there is praise and there is critique. In this tone, not really letting up, I gotta be honest, after a while, it kind of becomes a pity party a little bit. Really? It kind of becomes a little arcless. It, It doesn't really have... I mean, again, it does have these comedic moments, you know, slight slight brevity put into there. But for the most part, I mean, after a while, it's just like, it's sad upon sad upon sad. And I, I, I felt like it was almost like, he's an obese guy, he's kind of wallowing in sadness. The whole film is kind of wallowing in its sadness. Wow, it's uh, like watching a TLC special yeah. almost, or a TLC show. <laughs> right, right, my 900-pound yada yada. Right, but know. that's the thing where just like, like you said, it's arcless almost. Yeah. Yeah. So by the end of it, are you like, all right, well, let's just wrap it up then? Or is it, you know what I mean? Like, how how do, how do you feel? Do you start to get used to Charlie, to the fact of just like, it's less sad at the end because you just spent this much time with him. So it's not as shocking. You know, seeing him isn't mm. as shocking anymore. Yeah. You probably get used to his voice and his tone and the mm-hmm. way he works where it's like, it's not as shocking. Yeah. And, and if anything, that's why that quote kind of resonated so much with me. Uh, oh, that, yeah. uh, upon seeing the film is that I do 100% agree with what Aronofsky said there is that in the very beginning, he kind of shocks you with a couple couple, you know, tacky scenes, honestly. It's it's handled very, very poorly. But if that was the point to start us in the bad and then kind of slowly but surely we grow to love Charlie and we grow empathy for Charlie, uh, then the film is is successful in that. And I would say by the end, you are empathetic for Charlie. Just a little bored with Charlie then. (laughs) Uh, A little bored. And and like I said, the tone itself is like... um, Maybe pity party isn't the right word. And you could also say repetitive. It is, yeah. it, it's a little one note. Exactly. And it's one note for a little bit. Do you think they should have been shortened up like some of the others? Like, should you take in 20 minutes off and it's an hour and 37? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that honestly would do. Uh, maybe if you cut some of the secondary characters. Because really the main focus is Charlie and his daughter. Okay. And reconnecting with his okay. daughter. Okay, so the nurse, the, the, nurse, the, the Mormon. Mormon boy... It's, I wouldn't say it's filler, because again, they're all under the same lens. Yeah. Of what kind of baggage are they handling? A little bit, a little bit, uh, wash and repeat. Okay. Uh, I guess, uh, with, with the themes, yeah. Can we talk, can I, can we bring up Brendan Fraser and how he was? <laughs> <laughs> or just stick with your notes if you weren't there yet. Uh, no, no, Fraser is fantastic. Okay. This. Yeah. <laughs> Fraser and, and I, I'll, I'll say it again towards the end, I think, um, this is probably going to be honestly identical in in Oscar nods as the wrestler, best actor for Fra- Frasier, best um, ah. uh, best supporting actress for Sadie Sinks, uh, who which is his daughter. Yep. But no best picture. I think Frasier did a great job here. Really? And if there's any reason why I'm recommending this film, it's for Frasier. Oh right. Yeah. This is without a doubt his best performance, a la the wrestler, a, a la you know uh, Mickey Rourke. And I would say the second most critiques besides it being a lot of people like you said in the beginning mm-hmm. having issues with the really the telling of the story yeah. that people had an issue with mm-hmm. how was the prosthetics the kind of the fat suit mm. um i heard some people had issues just the fact that it was a thing almost and mm. but aronofsky had also said 
if it wasn't going to be right, they weren't going to make it. Yeah. And yeah. so how was that? Did it look like Brendan Fraser gained this much weight practically? Uh, yes. And especially how, uh, I mean, it's kind of gross to say, but how the fat hangs, mm. uh, you know? Mm. Uh, I'm sorry to, you know. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, he's, he's like medical, medical problem. Right, so, right. Specifically how he walks with a walker. Uh, or how he's getting around the apartment. Again, we're not going anywhere but the apartment. Right. So there's not like a huge variety in, in seeing him in different circumstances or different even lighting, for instance. Right. So I would say, yeah, absolutely. It gets a gets a, a, a pass, but also very good. There's actually probably only one scene that I said, that fat suit looks like it needs to be rearranged a little bit, like it was okay. slipping on him a little bit. Okay. But literally only one, one scene. scene. Uh, and, and more than anything, he brings the sadness needed for... You know, why this character is dealing with his trauma through eating, through morbid eating. Right, uh, right. And uh, an eating disorder, honestly. Uh, he, he's he's great, honestly, just as great as Sadie Sinks. I recognized wow. her from later seasons of Stranger Things. She was fantastic. And, and a young actress as well. Uh, she brought a lot to the table and a necessary ingredient in the back and forth between Frasier and his daughter. You know, not only yeah, for the story. Yeah, that must have been very – that must be great when they those two were on. Oh, yeah. And just going back and forth with each other then if they're both that good. She's also key to some of the light brevity the film has, oh, okay. which is important. Yeah. But she plays a very interesting role. She's key to that brevity. Yeah. She's also kind of the antagonist. Uh, and in ways, she is the goal of of um, Charlie, you know, Fraser's character, to um, you know, to reconnect with his estranged daughter. So a very important role yeah. that she filled. And at first, I was like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> right? She's not exactly a child star anymore. Uh, you know, she's been on Stranger Things and probably a few other things. But I saw how important she was going to be in this role, and I said, oh boy, is this going to be something bad? Right. No, she was phenomenal, and if anything. Deserved of a Best Supporting Actress uh, nomination. Beautiful. I would say these two are, are, are standouts for it. Very so. cool. Okay. Back a little bit to the story structure. Like I said, it is puzzling this, the Charlie's past together. And dialogue is a bit info-dumpy. It's just jammed, uh-huh. packed sentences that just feel a bit unnatural. And, and just the same way, this is how I felt about The Wrestler. It, it's, it's just, it handles certain character moments with a sledgehammer. Uh, as you're watching it, the movie kind of forebodes these sequences like horror almost as it's being built up to. Uh, I know that's maybe odd to say, but that really was my feeling that it really kind of forebodes these sequences. You see the writing on the wall. You see when he's going to fall into his binge eating. Right, right. I just – sometimes it's handled well. Other times it's just handled way too heavy-handedly, especially with what being in one setting, I feel some things can go left unsaid, if anything, mm. specifically yeah. because it's one setting. Yep. Things can be in the world. Um, Aronofsky can pull from his world building and design that he had in the fountain and and, and bring a little bit that of that sure. into this. It's just tough because sometimes, again, it's handled well. Other times, I thought it was handled with a sledgehammer. And if mm. anything, it's right in our introductory sequence with Charlie. Going back to that quote, I mean, that I can't tell you how right what Aronofsky is right. saying is there. You know, he's, he's dead on with his own movie. So he is dead on. And like I said multiple times already, you know, I, I feel I- identical to how I felt about The Wrestler. I predict we see uh, potential identical Oscar nominations. I'm always fascinated to talk about these films that 
people don't know how to feel. The variance online is huge. I mean, you go from the rumor mill of a 20-minute standing ovation for Frasier right. when, when this was first released, and then obviously the the outrage of the portrayal and the soft cancellation that people are demanding. Yeah, and it's a, and, but it seems like audiences are loving it. It also, I mean, audience score 94, critic mm. score is 67. Interesting. I think I, it was a way lower Metacritic score than I thought, mm. and I wonder if it's the critics... And I don't. I hate to bring it up, just being so SJW type stuff mm, where they're falling into the. You know, they they want to be on the outrage side, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. They want to play it safe. Or exactly right, play it mm. safe. And I wonder if that's a lot. That's bleeding into it, and which sucks because if this performance is so good, which mm-hmm. has been hyped for so long, mm-hmm. and we have been looking forward to his sure, performance in this, absolutely. You know, it would just suck to see that go unnoticed, kind of. Mm-hmm. It, it does, and and I hope that that doesn't get. Lost in the shuffle because Frazier's performance is great. Frazier is really poised here to come back in a major way. Maybe, you know, again, not not to overcompare to the wrestler, but identical to how maybe Rourke was poised to really come back in a major way with his acting. Yeah, I just career. hope Frazier actually does. Right, right. Again, I feel like Rourke is the kind of guy that got a bunch of calls and was just like, no. Nah, yeah. Frazier, I hope, and he did a sit down with Adam Sandler. It's like Variety does oh, that okay. stuff or yep, yep. One, one of the companies that are mm-hmm. all copying each other. Yeah. Um, but it was a deal. And Fra- Frazier was like, people are calling it my return. And he's just like, you know, I did, I was acting the entire time. <laughs> but even he got, he was just like, but I really appreciate it. Like, obviously, this is my first big return yes. into big motion stuff. And yep, yep. that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, fingers crossed for him because uh, he's 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 a sweet boy. He's a, he's a very... apparently in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just a good guy. Yeah, I think I even sent you something on like uh, sixty minutes or, or Sunday morning, to be a Sunday morning. That uh, it was just such a heartwarming interview uh, with with Frazier. I mean, he's he's just uh, he, yeah. he's he's a lovable guy, and and I want to root for him. And, um, and and that's not to say that you know the critical lens here is you know uh, any kind of gripes that I have with the film and the presentation and maybe a little bit of dialogue and story structure aside Frasier is phenomenal Sadie Sinks is phenomenal and I think that's where you know I really lean into that this was a good platform for the actors maybe just not a best picture type of nod best director type of nod if we right. want to really boil it down to you know academy recognition absolutely or like yeah that. and personally I think the story might just be the weakest part for me but the performance and the execution of the idea is where it cracks into a solid recommendation we're going to go ahead and give the whale a 71 oh 71 okay all right <laughs> you wanted more well, yeah yeah but 70 71s for you are very good uh, yes yes i mean we got to be real here a little and bit. i think i think that's a fair balance between 90s audience you know low 60s for critics you know what i mean what did tar get mm, i gave tar i believe a 66 i want to say yeah, you gave it a sixty-six. Mm. Okay, because that was boring, but so character, so yeah, so character Blanchett driven. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. Uh, Seventy-one. I mean, still. I mean, like we say, when we get in the seventies, that's yep. a pretty good movie. Yeah, and yeah, you might absolutely. want to make some time for. It. And Frasier, I know I will be definitely. I don't think you knew this. I'm excited mm. to tell you this. So you saw it Friday, December ninth. Yep. yep. Which was its a release. Release. Yep. Yep. You know, it only came out in six theaters. So- and you were one of the six theaters. What? <laughs> you just happened to be in LA that week wow. for the Game Awards. And oh you were... <laughs> my god! <laughs> you didn't know that. And I had this whole week planned for Aaron. I, I wouldn't have seen it then. I just flat out wouldn't have seen it. No, because you can't get it on Amazon. I don't think wow. yet. Because I tried to buy because I'm going to have to watch it. Maybe give it to Tommy too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But give the old Tommy too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you were one. But you were wow. only six theaters. And right you place, right time. And had no idea. <laughs> 
Right whale, right apartment. So, <laughs> so folks, if you want to go see it, it's really going to be coming out and hitting theaters a little bit more wide on Tuesday the 20th. Okay? Yeah, and, and, and so, certainly to just uh, support uh, uh, Frasier as well. You know what I mean? Again, the performance here is why this you is, go see this Yeah, movie. this is almost a, uh, a really early watch we have here for a new release, which is yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. But okay, Vin. All right, so that's 71 for the whale. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on or... Uh, we're going to roll credits here on this Aronofsky uh, mini special. Right, right. Yeah, uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the dive into the director uh, next week. You know what's coming out. It's the big, <laughs> it's the big blue. It's the big avatar. So uh, we're going to be doing a, a Cameron uh, deep dive, which I'm very excited Yay! for. <laughs> and uh, you will all find out how much uh, Tom and I truly despise avatar so and it's not it's just the war well oh well the avatar yes yeah, yeah. i was gonna say and james cameron but no one really no one likes james cameron right right yeah his ex-wife doesn't like james cameron obviously <laughs> hence the ex part but, but we yeah. can get into that next week <laughs> yeah I, and, and excited for maybe a good technical dive because uh all of his films i mean they're they're jumps they are jumps in in the tech so that's it's, that's exciting yeah. to to watch in a different lens it's going to be a blast to talk about kind of going a deeper dive with some of those films some mm-hmm. of those big films so it's going to be a cool week next week and a big week uh vin thank you so much for watching these thanks so much for stopping by folks at home we'll run it down one more time here we have requiem for a dream with a 75 percent the fountain with a 59 the Wrestler with a 70, Black Swan with an 83, and finally The Whale with a 71%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com. We have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.